pastors have these secret meetings um, and we get together and, and we talk to each other, we talk about each other uh, and uh, frequently we, we talk about, well, what are you going to preach on? And particularly when it comes to holidays, whenever you see two or three pastors talking to each other, what they're talking about is, well, what are you going to preach on? And we're all just looking for ideas. So, you know, so, but some guys, some guys in town preach the same sermon every holiday for Christmas, for Easter, which probably isn't a bad idea. I mean, you know, and their reasoning is, well, there are visitors from out of town. We've had the people that only come on holidays. They need to hear a basic message. And so I, I kind of like that idea. But uh, others of us like to have something fresh. And so I was talking to a group of pastors a couple weeks ago. They said, well, what are you, what are you preaching on for Easter, John? And I said, well, I, I want to do something challenging. I want to do something fresh. And they all kind of leaned forward, and I said, I think I'm going to preach on a genealogy. And then they all leaned back and went, oh. <laughs> so the title of today's sermon is Genealogy with a question mark. And so, and, and so even as we look at that, uh, I want to tell you that the main idea I'd like you to absorb today is a little bit of a cliche, but I think as we walk through this passage, you'll see how profound it is. God has a plan. Again, we've all heard that. God's got a plan for your life. Well, we're going to see the plan today if I've done my preparation correctly. So I'm going to read this passage, Matthew 1, 1 through 17. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 1, 1 through 17. I want to apologize in advance if any of your fathers or mothers or children or brothers have any of these names and I pronounce them wrong, please forgive me. Matthew 1, 1 through 17. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hetzron, and Hetzron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. And Joram, the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah, the father of Jotham. And Jotham, the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. And Manasseh, the father of Amos. And Amos, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Atzor, and Atzor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Maton, 
and Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who's called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations, the word of the Lord. This is the challenge of genealogies. There's all these funny names in here. We can't pronounce most of them. And for most of these people, we don't even know who they are. And so we, we, we read them. And I, I don't know if you read them the same way I do, but I, I used to just kind of skim over them and pretend like I understood the names. We kind of think, well, what's the point? Why are we doing, you know, in the King James, is this begat, 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 begat. What, what does all this mean? And then we kind of move on to the next passage. But if, if we stop, if, if we linger a little bit, if we do just a little bit of study and look a little closer at that, uh, it, it will reveal that each genealogy in the Bible has a specific purpose. They're arranged in a very particular order. And there's always, there's always a message. Now, in this particular one, there's more than one message. As a matter of fact, there's a multitude of messages in here, but we're just going to take a look at two of them, perhaps the two predominant ones today. Uh, it, the, the, here are the two messages in Matthew 1, 1 through 17. Number one, God has a big plan. These are complicated. You can write them down. God has a big plan. And God has a small plan. I want you to notice as you look at the passage. Keep that in mind. Notice as you look in the passage. It's broken up into three major sections. Verses 2 through 6 take us from Abraham through David. Verses 7 through 11 take us through the fall and the captivity of Israel. And verses 12 through 16 take us through the liberation and, if you would, the redemption of Israel. So the first thing I want to do is take a big picture look at this and see God's big plan in this passage. So look at verse 1. We have three men introduced in verse 1. Jesus Christ, he is the son of David. Everybody would hear king and understand that, that he is in line for the throne of David. But he's also the son of Abraham who's the father of nations, the very first of the Jews, the very first of the Hebrews, uh, the father of the Jewish nation at this particular point. Now, verse 1 is bracketed by verse 17. Take a look down at verse 17. There we have the th same three men, Abraham, David, and Jesus. And then, then we have all those numbers in there. 14 is mentioned three times. Now, we'll get to that a little bit later. But that's important. So anytime you see a passage with bookends like that, with the first verse and the last verse of the passage have similarities, the author's trying to get you to look at what's in between. The main message is what is in between those bookends. So what we should pay attention to is what lies between verse 1 and verse 17. And what we'll see as we go through the passages in there is a story of three men. And they've already named them. We say verse 2 through 6, we hear about Abraham and his descendants. Verse 7 through 11, we hear about David and his descendants. And in verse 12 through 16, we have the introduction of Jesus Christ. 
So all of these people are revered. Uh, they're very much a part of, of the lore of Judaism, uh, but we have this addition of Jesus Christ. So uh, if you kind of big picture this and step back a few steps, here's what you'll see in the story of these three leaders. It's the story of a nation. It's a story of all of Israel, two through six. We see Israel's creation, don't we? Through Abraham. Seven through 11, we see Israel's fall as they're taken into captivity. And verses 12 through 16, we see Israel's liberation and their redemption. So the nation found their beginnings in Abraham. They reached their height with David. It was as, as far as they could go. For uh, I mean, David was a good leader. Uh, he was kind of the high point for Israel. He was the one who gained all the victories, had the mighty army, and, and so on and so forth. But he was flawed, as, as we all know. But he was, he was a great leader. Then came Israel's fall. And it kind of started with David and started sliding down from there. They're taken captive. They're taken captive. First, the, the northern kingdom is taken captive by the Assyrians. Then the southern kingdom is taken captive by the Babylonians. They're all carried away. Then the Persians come along, seemingly out of nowhere. I mean, the Babylonians were only in power for about 70 years or so. The Persians come along, led by uh, King Cyrus, and God uses the Persians to set the Hebrews free. The Persians send the Hebrews home. So you see, in Israel's story, God is showing us two things. Every passage in the Bible reveals something about the Lord. Every passage in the Bible reveals something about his plan of redemption. And right here, what we see, what we learn about God is, number one, God has the power to redeem. God has the power to deliver his people. It's very clear right here. And the second thing that we see is that God moves sovereignly in the history of mankind to accomplish his plan and to bring his children home. So those are the two principles we see here that, that we learned about the character and nature of God. But if we, if we look at this, this pattern that we've seen in Israel, if we look at it carefully, we can see the echo of a larger plan, of a much larger plan. We can see the echo of the story of all mankind, can't we? Starting with Genesis, starting with the creation of the world, the garden, and Adam, we see creation, but then immediately in Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall, the separation from God. They're ejected from the garden. But also in chapter 3, we see the echo of redemption. We see the promise of redemption. So we can see God's big plan in verses 1 through 17. But God's just getting started with Matthew 1. He's not revealing all of it. He's just kind of giving us a taste of it. He's telling us to keep our eyes open. And that would have been one of the messages the Jews would have seen. Uh, God's plan is being carried out right before their eyes. Now, here's how they would have seen this. If you're familiar with the Jewish Bible, the last book in the Jewish Bible is not Malachi, it's Chronicles. And the Jews would have been very familiar with their Bible. And they know that the book of Chronicles, we would call it First Chronicles, starts with a genealogy. And it becomes a summary of the history of the Jewish people. So 
First and Second Chronicles were one volume. They would have been very familiar with it. And then they would also have been familiar with the fact that for all intents and purposes, God goes silent for 400 years. And now he's speaking again. John the Baptist pops up. Uh, he's a prophet in the Old Testament mold. And uh, amazing things are beginning to happen. He claims to be a herald of the Messiah. And Matthew's gospel starts with a genealogy. See, and the Jews would have seen this as a continuation. They would have read the first two sections and go, yeah, yeah, we know that. That's just like Chronicles. What's going on here? But then there's a third section in Matthew's genealogy that would not show up in Chronicles, and that introduces Jesus Christ. So there's God's big plan, and, and we're seeing it unfold. We're seeing the first glimpses of it here. Let's talk about the small plan for a second. And, and, and to do that, we have to look at some of the people a little bit closer than the big picture. Because this is, this is Jesus' family tree, isn't it? Now, you would think he's the savior of the world, the king of kings and lord of lords. That his family tree would be filled with, I don't know, kings, <laughs> royalty, uh, maybe rich people, maybe something a bit more basic. Maybe we know our Bibles a little bit better and we think that Jesus' family tree should be filled with people like John the Baptist, running around in sackcloth eating bugs. You ever had a bug? You know, you, if, if you ever had one, you'd know why he was dipping them in honey. Okay. So, I, I mean, we, we, we want to see the lineage of Jesus Christ populated with holy people. People that spend their entire day in prayer, that know all the scriptures, they memorize entire books, and so on and so forth. And this would be the logical progression up to uh, the Savior of the world, wouldn't it? Well, let's take a look at these people, because it's anything but that. Okay? It starts with Abraham and goes all the way through Judah. And, you know, Abraham's a good guy, but he's kind of just standing out in the middle of nowhere when God picks him and says, I'm going to make you the father of nations. And, and he receives that and he steps out in faith. God says, go to a land that I'll show you. And he takes his family and he starts walking and, and he does a great job. But as soon as he thinks there's some trouble, his wife is beautiful, 90 years old, beautiful, just incredible. Okay. And, and he's worried that uh, the people around him are going to see how beautiful she is and kill him. So he says, let's lie about who you are. So Abraham has a nice start, but there's a few stumbles here and there. Isaac does the same thing, doesn't he? And, and, and their son, Jacob, uh, I mean, you know, you look at his history, he's nothing but a reprobate. He, he's lying about, uh, to his mother, he's lying to his father, he's lying to his brother, he's stealing the heritage. Uh, I mean, he's just, he's almost good for nothing. And he becomes the father of the 12 tribes one of which is Judah. Now, Judah must be a pretty good guy, right? Because, I mean, Judaism, Judah, Judea, you know. Except he plots with his brothers to kill his brother Joseph. So, and we go from there, we go to, to Tamar, who's got a really interesting story. Uh, take a look at Genesis 38 later on and see how she conducted herself. And we go from that to, to Rahab, and Ruth, the, the second and third women mentioned in the genealogy. Now, that alone is kind of distinctive because women just didn't appear in genealogies back then. 
So uh, they're, they're, they're very special by being mentioned in here, but look who they are. Rahab is a harlot. Ruth is, is a Gentile. And, and look how David, the king, is brought up. He's mentioned in the context of Uriah, whom David murdered. It's kind of a harsh reminder. You remember David, right? The big king that you celebrate? The guy you think so great? Murdered Uriah, didn't he? And then Solomon. Yeah, I mean, Solomon, you know, when the Lord says, ask of anything you want, he says, oh, Lord, I want wisdom. And we all think that's a fantastic idea. But look what Solomon did with his wisdom. You know, there were a couple rules that the kings of Israel had. One of them was don't go to Egypt and buy horses. And the other one was don't have a multitude of wives. Solomon did both. And he ends up, he ends up badly. So the wisest man in the world can't handle this right. Then you have Rehoboam, a bad king, Solomon's son. For all intents and purposes, he caused the two kingdoms to split. They become the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Then you have Abijah. He's even worse than Rehoboam. Then you have Asaph and Jehoshaphat. They're good kings. But right after Jehoshaphat comes Joram, who's a bad king. And then then you have Uzziah, who started out good and, and went bad. He just slipped over the edge. Then you have Jotham, a good king. And then you have Ahaz, one of the worst kings that Israel has. Guy is abominable. And from him comes Hezekiah, who's a good king. And from him comes Manasseh, who is bad at the beginning and turns good. He gets redeemed. Then you have Amos, who was also known as Ammon, uh, bad to the core. And then Josiah, a very good king. And right after him, Jeconiah, a very evil king. And, And the whole lineage, I mean, it goes on and on. The whole lineage for the redeemer of the world for the son of God ends up with a carpenter. A carpenter and a young girl who was pregnant before she got married. What a motley group of people. What do we learn from this? Well, the very first thing we ought to see is, I know how you feel today. I feel the same way. I feel like I come from a dysfunctional family. We all come from dysfunctional families. The Lord Jesus Christ came from a dysfunctional family. Look at these people. There's nothing to brag about here. You can see at the family reunions, you go, well, we don't really talk about Jeconiah. (laughs) (laughs) And you know about Rahab. And mom's sitting there going, shut your mouth. So your family's not the only one that's messed up. Amen? Amen. But there's more. Look look at what we see. There are lessons. A bad father does not have to make a bad son. Amen? Okay, but there's there's another inference here. A, a, A good mother and father, good parents, don't necessarily guarantee good kids. I mean, we see that all over the place, don't we? So what we understand, what we should understand from this is that each one of us has to stand before the Lord on our own. Each one of us has to give an accounting of our faith. Each one of us, not dependent on what our mom and dad did, not dependent on what our kids did or what our lineage was or nationality was, each one of us stands on our own before the Lord. Now that's a great lesson. 
But here's a lesson of lessons that we should see in this. God can, God can use and redeem anyone. God used the bad kings, every one of them. He redeemed people like Tamar and Rahab and David and Manasseh. Tamar, the deceiver. Rahab, the harlot. David, the murderer. Manasseh, the bad king turned good. God turned those people's lives around. And if he turned their lives around, then he can turn our lives around. He has the power. He has the presence. God took all of their mistakes and all of their failings and all their weaknesses and every one of their stumbles and used them to bring his son into the world. And the promise to us is that God can do the same thing for us. He can take all of our mistakes and all of our sins and everything we've done wrong and everything we've missed and bring the message of his son, the gospel, into the world. And to do this in our lives, he uses the patterns that we saw in the big plan. He uses that pattern to change us. I mean, we, we've gone through the same thing. Those of us who call upon him as Lord and Savior, we've gone through the same pattern. We were created, we fell, we were redeemed. So how, how does he redeem us? Well, Matthew chapter 1 is trying to put that on display. He's trying to show us a, a, a glimpse at it, a peak of it. It's not the whole thing, but it's just a peak. His big plan and his small plan. His big plan is revealed in the history of the world. He's a sovereign God over all creation. His small plan is revealed in us, in our transformation, in molding and shaping us into his image. But again, Matthew 1 is just the introduction to this. Uh, in order to find out how all this works, we, we have to read the rest of Matthew. We have to see that Jesus has come to go to the cross. I mean, that's the story in Matthew. He comes, he, he begins working miracles. He, he, he attracts a lot of attention. He teaches with such incredible authority that even those who oppose him recognize the authority that he teaches. And, and he keeps on putting the truth out there, but people don't like the truth sometimes, and so opposition arises to him, and eventually the opposition becomes violent, and they arrest him, and they take him, and they torture him. And then, then they nail him to a cross. So we find out that Jesus came to be nailed to the cross, to sacrifice himself, to pay for our sins. Jesus dies on the cross and is buried in a tomb. Some of the women go to properly prepare the body for burial and because they didn't have time, the evening was coming. And, and they, find, they find an empty tomb. And an angel's there. And the angel, the angel makes a proclamation that changes everything. It changes everything. He says in Matthew 28, 6, he changes everything for all 
time. He says, he's not here, for he has risen. He has, as he said, come see the place where he lay. He says, come and look, the tomb's empty. He's gone. God's plan all along was to send his only son to earth to redeem us, to pay for all of our sins for those who believe, to pay for the sins of every Tamar and every Rahab and every David and every Manasseh and for you and for me. And, and he, he rises up out of the tomb. The tomb is empty. And the proof of the plan, the proof of our redemption is that resurrection that we celebrate today. He came back. He died and he came back. And when he came back, he gained victory over sin. He gained victory over death. He gained, gained victory over all of the Tamars and Rahabs and David and Manassehs and, and their sins and their mistakes and their wrongdoings and, and ours as well. Now Matthew, Matthew leaves us a hint of how good that plan is. Remember those brackets? He mentions Abraham, David, and Jesus in, the first, in verse 1. We mentioned him again in verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now I want to be clear with you. Matthew takes a few liberties with the genealogies here. Not a lot, but some. With the numbers of the generations. But he does it to make a point. And there's all sorts of things we can do with the arithmetic here that are absolutely fascinating. Uh, but one of the things I want you to see is that he shows us three sets of 14. Three sets of 7 times 2. Three is the number of the Trinity in the Bible. Seven is the number of perfection. Matthew is trying to demonstrate to us the perfection of of God's plan. So the passage shows two plans. But there's really only one, isn't there? It's God's plan. Creation, fall, redemption. Did you ever think that the history of all mankind had an application to you and your relationship with the Lord today? When God did all that in the garden and promised Adam redemption, he was promising us redemption. So the only question you have to answer this morning is, are you part of that plan? How do we become part of the plan? Well, we confess our sins, we repent, we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And once we do that, we understand we understand the empty tomb. We understand the promise of eternal life forever. We understand how God can give us something like a genealogy and make it pertinent to how we walk with him and in him today. It's an incredible plan, an incredible book. It's about an incredible Lord and an incredible salvation by grace that we are offered.